Today's scripture reading is from Genesis 3, verse 1 to 9. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin clothes. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we believe that when your word is preached, your voice is heard. So please help me to preach your word truthfully. Help us to hear clearly. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself, what's wrong with the world we live in? I think, I think most of us have a sense that something's wrong, right? That some, somehow things are not the way that they're supposed to be. I mean, for example, why is there so much poverty? Hmm? And why are there so many wars all the time? Why are so many species of animal, animals on the verge of extinction right now? Um, why, why do people who really love each other fall out of love and get divorced? Why, why are children sometimes hurt by their own parents? One more. Why do our loved ones have to die? It seems like something's wrong. Now, I guess a, uh, a Darwinian, right, would say, stop your complaining. That's the way of nature. And it's just, you know, the strong eat the weak, survival of the fittest. This, this is the way it's supposed to be. But uh, don't you think that most of us would say, even if you've embraced that worldview, no, I just inside, I feel like something has gone wrong here. We all feel that. So what, what is it? What went wrong? Well, this, um, this summer we're studying the, the, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. And uh, today we come to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, we're going to take two weeks to work through this, but it basically gives us two things. It gives us an explanation of what went wrong in the world, and it gives us an, an expectation of how God is going to make it right again. It does those two things for us. And so today as we... Uh, we start with the first part of this chapter. What I'd like to do to kind of walk us through this narrative is I want to talk about two persons that we read about here, two, um, two characters in the drama, if you will. I want to talk first about the serpent, 
And then I want to talk about the searcher, those, those two persons. So first we'll start with the serpent. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So who is this serpent? Uh, well, when you get to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we're told clearly, it says, the, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So in some sense, this is, this is the devil. This is Satan. And uh, it's not crystal clear in Genesis 3 if, this is, uh, if the serpent is a symbol for the devil, if this is the devil in some kind of embodied form. We're not exactly sure, but we know it's, it is this um, angelic being who rebelled against God, rebelled against the authority of his creator. And this, this devil seems to have come to the garden to see if he can enlist the first man and the first woman to join him in his rebellion against the Almighty. Now, how does he do it? Does he attack them? Does he threaten them? Does he, is this some kind of frontal assault against them? No, he is, he's much more subtle than that, isn't he? he his, the serpent's basic strategy is he tries to get them to doubt, to doubt God. Have you ever struggled with doubts about God? Then if you have, um, you'll be able to sympathize with what they were dealing with. He, he tries to get them to doubt. Now, you'll notice first he tries to get them to doubt God's word. If you were here a few weeks ago or if you've studied this yourself, you know that in Genesis chapter 2, we read that the Lord created the first man. God placed him in this beautiful garden, this paradise, and God told him, you may eat the fruit from every tree in the entire garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, God said to him, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now... That was God's word for Adam and Eve. They didn't have a Bible like we did. That his, God's word to them was that one prohibition. Don't eat from that tree. Verse 1 says, middle of the verse, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Really? How do you know God said that? So he, he begins by just trying to plant a seed of doubt about God's word. Um, now, what's interesting to me in, this, in the narrative is that the serpent poses the question of the woman. He doesn't ask the man. And um, Genesis chapter 2, if you, if you recall Eve, Eve was not created yet when God spoke those words of prohibition to Adam. Adam was the only one that heard them, right? So as far as we know, that means that Eve did not receive God's word through direct revelation from the Lord. Eve, God's word was passed down to Eve from someone else. Her husband told her about it, right? And here's, here's why I find that interesting. Because basically, that means Eve was in the same situation that you and I are in. I mean, we're, we're in the same situation as Eve. We were not around when the Bible was written, were we? I mean, God, God didn't give his word directly to us. We, the scripture was given to people, listen, who were here long before any of us ever showed up. So just like Eve, God's word was passed down to us from someone else. So I can kind of, uh, I can re kind of relate to Eve. Can you? 
I can understand why, why the question that, that, that the devil raised was so tricky for her. It can be a tricky question for us too. Right? Is, listen, is the Bible God's word? Is it really? How do you know if it's God's word? Well, because someone told you, your mom told you, your pastor told you how to... Hey, let, let me ask you, have you ever grappled with questions like that? If you can, then I think you'll have a little bit of sympathy for Eve, right? Might be that you're, uh, you're struggling with those kind of questions right now. I mean, those, those will shake your faith, right? How do you know? How do you know that Bible is, represents God's word to us? Well, if you're, uh, if you're wrestling with that question, um, I commiserate with you. That's not easy to go through that. Here's my suggestion for you. Just read. Read. Immerse yourself in, in, in Scripture. Read with, read with an open heart. Read with a, uh, with a prayerful mind. But, but, but don't just say, oh, I'm not sure about it. Put it on the shelf. No, read it, read it, read it. And here's why I say that. Because I cannot prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is God's Word. But the Holy Spirit can convince you of it. He's done it for me. Has He done it for you? He just, as you read the Word, He has a way of just... There's a ring of truth and authority and hope and joy that you find in the Word. And um, you may not be able to prove it to your unbelieving friends, but you just begin to say, I am confident this is God's Word for me. So if you're struggling with those questions, you're kind of in the position of Eve today. You're like, how do I know this is... Just read it, all right? But as you read it, don't be surprised if you hear the same little voice that she heard, just kind of whispering in your ear, did God actually say this? Did God actually say this? Right? That, see, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the serpent's strategy. He first, he tries to get them to doubt God's Word, and then, and then the next thing he does, he tries to get them to doubt God's love. And let me, if this hasn't come through to you yet in our study of Genesis, I, ho I hope that this will be clear. God really, really loved Adam and Eve. I mean, they were the delight of his eyes, the joy of his heart, of, of the whole created order. He loved them. You remember that we, we read that God created them, male and female, in his own image. And God breathed into them his own breath, the breath of life. And God placed them in paradise, just open before them all the joys, all the pleasures of his creation. God really loved them. You know what the Bible says? Listen. God really loves you, too. I mean, he really does. But have you ever, let me ask you, have you ever felt yourself kind of tempted to, to doubt that? I mean, does he really love me? That's, that's, uh, that's the strategy the serpent takes. So first doubt the word and then, then doubt God's love. In the first place, you see this, if you'll notice in, in the middle of the end of verse 1, he kind of twists the word of God to them. I don't know if, if you caught that. Um, he doesn't quote it very clearly. In fact, he quotes the word of God in a way that seems designed to make God's restrictions appear narrower than they really are. Make them just appear harsher. than, than So he says in the middle of verse 1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, listen, God didn't say 
you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Right? In fact, God said, you can eat from every tree in the garden except one. There was only one tree that was off limits to them, not every tree. But the devil, man, the devil is such an exaggerator, right? He's like, no, he's like a five-year-old boy whose mom says, don't play ball in the house. And he says, oh, you don't want me to have any fun at all. Listen, kid, don't exaggerate. Your mom, she wants you to have fun. She just doesn't want you to break something. Like, he's just exaggerating, making God's... Um, Making God's, listen, has this ever happened to you? He makes God's laws feel burdensome. As if, as if somehow God is out to destroy your joy, just squash your individuality. Um, now, in the Bible, if you've read the Bible, God does give us laws. He gives us his moral law, the way that he wants us to, to conduct our lives. It just touches on every area of, of, of our existence, how he wants us to live. But listen, God's law is good, and it's for our good. First, first John says God's commands are not burdensome. They're not like some heavy weight that just crushes you. In, in Psalm 19 sings about the law of God. Listen to some of the things that we read in Psalm 19 about God's laws when he says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that. God's laws, we're told, God's law refreshes the soul. Just makes you feel young and alive again, right? God's law gives joy to the heart. God's law gives light to the eyes. God's laws give wisdom to the simple. God's law, laws warn us from things that would destroy us. And it says in Psalm 19, in keeping God's laws, there is great reward. Meaning you'll never, you'll never meet anyone who obeyed the Lord, who at the end of their lives says, oh man, I regret that. Why did I obey God? I wish I would have disobeyed him. You'll never meet someone like that. There's great reward in following him. But, listen, the devil, if he's consistent, and I think he's nothing if he's not consistent, all right, he'll try to do the same thing to you that he did to Eve. He will just, try, has this ever happened? He'll try to make God's restrictions feel harsh. Oh, you can't eat from any tree. No, we can't eat from basically any tree except one, right? So, so he's trying, what's he trying to do? Trying to get her to doubt God's love for her. Now, to her credit, Eve immediately corrects the serpent. Um, she, she does a pretty good job. Not perfectly, but she does pretty well. Verse 2 and 3, and it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Don't exaggerate. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, that, it's interesting, that little neither shall you touch it, she added that. God never said they couldn't touch it. They could, they could touch the fruit. They could play with it, juggle it. They just don't eat it. So, so you always wonder, why did she add that? Was she maybe beginning to buy the lie? Maybe we can't even touch it. You know, just seeing God is harsh. That can happen. Well, the devil doesn't give up. Verse 4 and 5 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I wonder, can you, do you hear the subtle accusation that lies behind those words? He's just accusing God. Eve, God is lying to you. 
Eve, God is holding back from you. There's something good that you could have, and he doesn't want you to have it. He doesn't want you to have it. This is why he doesn't want you to eat that. You know how happy you would be? You would be like God. Now, did you catch the irony? They already are like God. I mean, out of all creation, the entire universe, this man and this woman are the only created beings of whom it is said they were created in the image and likeness of God. So in a certain sense, they're already like God, as like God as any created being can be. And he's saying, oh, you would really be like God. So hard to know what's going on in the the evil one's mind. You wonder if this angel, the angels were not created in God's image. You wonder if he's envying these humans who were created in God's image, just wanting them to, to question, doubt, does God really love me? Has he really, has he really made me in his likeness? And so he's getting them to doubt that God really, truly has their best interests at heart. Have you ever doubted that? Let's be honest. I have. You go through those times where you think, you know, I, I'm just not sure if God loves me. Now, if Adam and Eve could struggle with that when they're living in paradise, you can certainly see why we might struggle with it today in this broken world. Maybe some of you are going through a very hard time right now. And you've just been kind of thinking, I don't know if God loves me. If if God loves me, why would I go through this? Does he really love me? Is he holding back from me? Listen, if you're struggling with those doubts, I don't want to shame you, and I'm certainly not scolding you for that. I mean, we struggle with these things. But if you're struggling with those doubts, I would just caution you, be very careful, all right? The, The same serpent, the same devil is still around today. He might be just trying to get you, little by little, to doubt God's love for you. The Apostle Paul, writing to a group of Christians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he said to them this, he said, I am afraid. You say, what are you afraid of, Paul? He said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere pure and, and pure devotion to Christ. He said, I'm afraid because the same serpent, he's still out there. I don't want him to deceive you. So anyway, this is the first character in the drama. The first person in this historical narrative to look at is the serpent. He He basically, this evil fallen angel who had rebelled against God, he wanted these beings who were created in the image of God to join him in his rebellion. And so his strategy was just to get them to doubt God's word, God's love. And the sad thing is, they did. They they began to question God. And so it says, verse 6, so when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. They doubted God's word, they questioned his love and they disobeyed. And that's the moment when everything went off the rails in this world. We'll talk more about it last week, but that's, this is where it all went wrong, all right? But this was what the serpent did. So I talk about the serpent. Let me talk about someone else. The serpent and the searcher. In, in this narrative, the searcher is God. 
Adam and Eve weren't searching for God. They were hiding in the weeds, hiding in the, in, in the woods, right? But God, God came searching for them. Now, we know that God is infinite, eternal, all-knowing. So, we can assume he was aware what Adam and Eve had done. He knew that they had disobeyed him. He knew that they had defied his authority, right? And we also know that God is holy. He is perfectly righteous. He doesn't tolerate sin. He always deals with it. So, we might expect that at this point in the narrative, God would just come and snuff them out. It's over. Or at the very least, that God would just sort of write them off. That's it with the human race. I'll, I'll never have any interaction with them again. I want nothing to do with these rebels. They're out of my life. You might expect God to do that. I wonder if today maybe you're expecting that God has done that with you. Maybe you've failed him. And you're just thinking God has just written you off. You're out of his life. Nothing to do with you anymore. Right? If that's what you're expecting, isn't it surprising to see what God does next in this story? He doesn't destroy them. He doesn't reject them. He comes looking for them. Verse 8 and 9, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? So God came searching for them. He did not give up on them. Now, as far as, as we know, the book of Genesis was written by Moses during the 40 years when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. You, you know the story of Israel. Um, the, the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God. He rescued them from their bondage. He led them through the Red Sea. He brought them to the land of Canaan, the promised beautiful land. And God said to them, this is the land I have promised to you. Enter it. It's yours. And what did they do? Well, they basically did the very same thing that Adam and Eve had done. They doubted God's word. Did God really promise this? They doubted God's love. This is a trick. He brought us out here to die. We would have been better off in Egypt. They doubted his word. They doubted his love. And just like Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They refused to go into the land. And so because of that, for, can you imagine wandering in the desert? For 40 years, they wandered and wandered and wandered. And I imagine with every passing day, they must have felt they were getting farther and farther and farther away from God. Now, as far as we know, those Israelites in the wilderness who had turned their back on God, they were the very first people to hear the words of Genesis 3. Very first people. Let me ask you, can you, can you imagine how they must have felt when they heard this story? That when, the, when they heard that even though Adam and Eve had sinned against God, God did not give up on them. God came looking for them. I can, only, I can only imagine they felt this incredible joy. Don't you think? Like, wow, if, if God didn't give up on Adam and Eve when they sinned, then that means maybe he hasn't given up on us either. Maybe God is still looking for us. Maybe, maybe there's still hope of God's joy and mercy for us. That, I think that's the conclusion they would have met, and I'm sure that's the conclusion God wants you to reach from this story. 
Listen, be honest here. We've all repeated the actions of Adam and Eve, haven't we? We've all begun to doubt. We've all listened to temptation. We've all done things that have brought us great shame. Listen, I think what this story would be telling you is that no matter how, no matter how you have sinned, no matter how you might have failed God, listen to me. The Lord has not given up on you. He is the cosmic searcher. And he's looking for you today. He still loves you today. And listen, I say that not because the Lord God came looking for Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. I say that because the Lord God came looking for you on the cross in the person of his son, right? He's, Jesus said in, in Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He, he comes looking for people who have turned their backs on him. And that's good news. So to conclude, how do we apply a passage like this one? I, I would give you just two words of counsel, all right, from, from Genesis 3. Don't be deceived. Do not despair. Those two thoughts. Don't, first, so first, don't be deceived. Listen, the same old devil still in this world, don't be surprised if he tries the same tactics on you, just questioning the word, questioning God's love till he gets you to a place where you can't see clearly anymore and you make bad choices. Listen, don't let him do that to you. Ask God to help you, all right? So don't be deceived. But secondly, uh, do not despair. Adam was hiding in the trees. Are you hiding from God today? You running from God? I think if God only knew what's going on in my life, it'd be the end. It'd be the end of it for me. Listen to me. You don't need to hide from Him. He came searching for Adam, not to destroy him. He came searching for Adam. We'll find out next week to clothe him and cover his shame. He searches for you and I in the same way. So do not despair. Trust him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help uh, that we would not be deceived by the liar, by the lies of the world and the flesh and the devil. And we ask that we would trust that you are the God who in your son Jesus came searching for us, that rather than hiding from you, we would run into your arms. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.